Okay, so last week we started a new series called Love Came Down, where the central visual theme is that of a ladder, where God doesn't expect us to go up to Him, but He chose to come down to us. And last week we saw that one of the many reasons that God came down to us is so that He could identify with us. And we're going to be unpacking more of these reasons over the course of this series. Now, I don't know about you, but I see Christmas everywhere. Christmas at the shops, Christmas specials, Christmas carols, and Christmas movies. And one of the biggest words that is so naturally associated with Christmas is the word miracle. And ad campaigns and songs and movies love using this word miracle to develop our interest and get our attention. So let me give you some examples of Christmas movies with the word miracle in it. 2021, A Mrs. Miracle Christmas. 2018, Once Upon a Christmas Miracle. 2013, A Christmas Tree Miracle. 2020, A Miracle on Christmas. 2012, A Christmas Miracle. 2019, another movie called A Christmas Miracle. And there were so many more. These were just the first Christmas Miracle movie titles that I could find online. But now when it comes to movies, here's what they mean by miracle. It's almost always an unlikely love story that kind of resolves miraculously and romantically just about on Christmas Day. And as part of the story, there's always some form of unexplainable mythical Christmas magic. Something to do with Santa, reindeer, his elves, or presents, or something along those lines. And listen, we watch them. They feel good. It is an absolute winning and money-making formula. And let's not kid, you and I and the public eat these movies up quite literally but the consequences in culture when we use the word miracle and christmas together that's often the first thing that people think about and so it's actually easy to ignore because that's fiction we all know there's no such thing as santa and elves and therefore people say there is no such thing as christmas miracles And then we get to what we believe is truly at the heart of the Christmas story. The true miracle of God taking on flesh, being born of a virgin, which we believe is not fiction, is historical. And yet it gets written off as the same kind of wishful thinking as Santa and his elves. And so this idea of the Christmas miracle matters very much. And I want to show you that without genuine miracles we don't have christmas and i want to demonstrate this to you by reading you the christmas story in matthew chapter 1 verses 18 onwards this is how matthew puts it he says this is how the birth of jesus christ came about his mother mary was pledged to be married to joseph but before they came together she was found to be with child through the holy spirit Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, this is a story so many of us have heard so regularly, but this story and this account is absolutely saturated with miracles that we are claiming actually historically happened. Listen to just a list of the miracles that come out of this text. Here, Mary is to be found with child by the Holy Spirit. Then there's the presence of real bona fide angels, not the sort of sentimental view of an angel. Then we've got angels appearing and angels speaking in a dream. Then we've got this prophecy that was foretold 700 years before these actual events. And then we've got this idea of the child is going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is an incredible list of miracles coming out of these few verses. Now for you and I, who may be familiar with these verses, maybe that seems normal to us. But to the atheist or the cynic or the skeptic, this sounds absolutely crazy. So listen, at some level, everyone celebrates Christmas. We all watch the movies, we all sing the songs, we all buy the toys, we all eat the food, of course. But so many people are saying, just don't expect me to actually believe this stuff. And so today's message is going to be admittedly a little bit different. And I hope you've had your coffee, a good nap last night, because I'm going to geek out a little bit. Not to impress you, but listen. We have to understand we live in a world where people are trying to dismantle the claims of Christianity all the time, even when it comes to Christmas. And yet we have something to say in response. So I hope you're ready for this. Most of you know that I am super passionate about helping people who are cynical about what we believe in deal with some of the obstacles that are in the way of them coming to genuine faith in Christ. And so maybe... You're watching this, and for you, this idea of God coming in flesh, God being born of a virgin, is literally the same as Santa and his elves running around a little village in the North Pole. Pure fiction. Or maybe you're a Christian, but as you start to try and think rationally through some of these claims, maybe they're starting to sound a little bit crazy to you, and you're wondering if the skeptics have a point. Or maybe you already believe but you have family members, you've got friends, you've got colleagues who look at what we believe in the season as absolute fairy tales. Because of course they would say, we all know that miracles don't exist. So today I want to speak into this idea that we can't believe in the central claims of the Christmas story because we can't believe in miracles. Now this is nothing new. 
In the Smithsonian Institute is a leather-bound Bible owned by prior American President Thomas Jefferson, where he literally cut out all the parts of the Bible that contain miraculous accounts. Similarly, we now live in an area that is basically saying, because we have science, we can't have miracles therefore because we have science we can't have christmas we can have christmas miracle movies but not the real christmas but science does not conclude that we cannot have miracles it is our prior commitment to certain philosophical presuppositions that leads us to conclude that miracles do not exist stephen what do you mean by that well let me try and explain myself you see, science can tell you and should tell you how things happen ordinarily in the natural world. And from that, we get our natural laws. And these are testable and verifiable. For example, gravity. I mean, you can throw an apple up 10 times or 100 times or 1,000 times or 10 billion times. And because of natural laws, it will fall in the same way at approximately 10 meters per second squared. And so, sorry, not sorry for the science lesson. And so I'm, I'm hoping you're still with me. But that is science being science describing reality and we as humans are constantly trying to make sure that our scientific laws and models best describe what is actually true in the natural world and that is science and when science is doing science science is good but naturalism is not a scientific conclusion but a philosophical assumption that this material world is all there ever was and all there ever will be and that nothing exists outside of that material world. But you cannot use science to prove that. Science at best can describe the physical world, but not the metaphysical world. You cannot use natural laws to prove or disprove something that is supernatural, above or beyond the natural world. That's kind of like me, for example, walking into our lounge one day and seeing some leaves and dirt inside after a windy day and wondering, how did this all get here? And even when all the evidence points to the fact that the leaves must have come from outside, I respond by saying, no, because the leaves are inside, they must have come here from inside. And therefore, the one who says, well, maybe the leaves came from outside is actually being more open-minded than the one who says, the leaves are inside, therefore, they could only have come from inside. And so science, by definition, is not able to explain anything outside of the natural world. That's like asking Hamlet to explain Shakespeare or asking the Mona Lisa to give an account for her creator, Leonardo da Vinci. You see, science can explain so much, but it cannot explain everything. Stephen Jay Gould, a celebrated evolutionary biologist and an atheist, strongly agrees. He says, and I quote, science simply cannot, by its legitimate methods, adjudicate the issue of God's possible superintendence of nature. We can neither affirm nor deny it. We simply cannot comment on it as scientists. In other words, science can only do what science can do. And so the only way we arrive at the conclusion 
is if you start with the assumption that there can be no supernatural or metaphysical reality. And therefore, we presuppose that miracles do not exist. But I want to show you that miracles are not a contradiction of science because in truth we are claiming that they lie outside of the realms of science. The question of miracles is not whether they're scientifically possible, but whether we actually have enough historical evidence. You see, I would actually agree with the cynic and the skeptic and the atheist and say, of course virgins don't give birth to anyone, let alone the Son of God. We can look at 10 or 100 or 1,000 or 10 billion virgins, and I would agree with you that according to nature and science, virgins just don't give birth. But our claim is not that somehow, through some strange naturalistic processes, that 2,000 years ago, these laws were broken and a virgin gave birth. Our claim is that God intervened and interrupted the ordinary laws of nature. And so the mistake that the materialist makes is not a scientific one. It is the assumption that the natural world is a closed system and nothing or no one can ever intervene or interject and do anything inside of this closed system. Craig Keener, he wrote two volumes on miracles, not only from the Bible times, but subsequently. And in it, he shows how over human history, hundreds of millions of people, both in ancient and modern times, claim to have experienced some form of miracle or supernatural intervention. And you know what? Out of those hundreds of millions of experiences, all you need is for one of those miracles to be true, to overthrow the entire closed system naturalistic worldview. For example, people once believed that swans were only ever white. Why? Because they'd seen thousands of swans and they were white every single time. Until... Western civilization go to Australia and they saw evidence of naturally occurring black swans. You see, up until that point in time, the fact that all swans were white was an irrefutable scientific claim until the awareness of our limited perspective was changed. You see, the idea that something is impossible simply because we haven't seen or experienced it is in itself a weak argument. You see, the, another mistake that skeptics make is equating evidence with probability. And what I mean by that is, it's kind of like saying that a lottery winner is lying because the odds are so minuscule that they won. Something like 76 million to one. And if we assume that simply because something is unwitnessed and mathematically highly improbable, therefore it is impossible that is a logical mistake you see if that is true even by their own standards they cannot believe in the big bang or the evolution of living matter coming from non-living matter because both of these are one-time events never to be never to be repeated events which are mathematically highly improbable and so the issue is not whether an event is rare, but whether or not, as I said earlier, do we have good historical 
evidence for it. You see, people who believe in God, like me, would agree that miracles are extremely rare occurrences because they are a special acts of God that disrupts the natural order of events. It is God answering the system. And so maybe I could have or should have started with this, but all of this is to say, if God exists, then miracles are absolutely possible. If God exists, the kind of God that created and governs all things, the same God who designed and set the natural laws in place, then these miracles of Christmas actually become possible. Here's what C.S. Lewis, the atheist turned Christian, had to say. He said, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this. And so the question is, if the miracle of Christmas is possible, do we have good evidence for it? Now, I admittedly don't have a lot of time and I know I've taken us down quite a road. I'm hoping you're still with me, but I'm going to restrict myself to one line of evidence. You see, it's one thing to say that a whole bunch of guys who lived with Jesus and loved Jesus believed in these miracles. But this is a genuine problem for some cynics and for atheists. They've got this idea that maybe Jesus' disciples, they loved him. And so they told these stories about Jesus. And just like the fisherman's tale, they maybe embellished them a little bit. And then the next generation received that version of events. And then they also told these stories and embellished them a little bit. Until we all end up with purely mythological claims about Jesus that have no bearing on the truth. But there are two problems with this. The first is, as C.S. Lewis again, who actually was an expert on ancient mythology, he says, guys, you simply do not have enough time for myths to develop. He points out that if we had to look at some of the earliest writings and creeds of the early church, for example, if we look at Philippians chapter 2 that speaks about the divinity of Christ, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 to 4, which looks at the death and the resurrection of Christ, he says you're looking at writings from within 15 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. And he says that's simply not how myth develops. Myth needs multiple generations. And so we simply haven't had enough time. So either it was true or it was made up, which leads us to the second problem with this idea. And as my old senior pastor used to say, he says, listen, you don't lie to get into trouble. You lie to get out of trouble. And what he means by that is, Every single one of Jesus' disciples who were making these claims were willing to be tortured and to die for these very miraculous claims. And so in the New Testament, we have eyewitness, first-hand testimony of people who saw Jesus, lived with Jesus, and were prepared to die for these very claims. And so, therefore, to throw out the Gospels and the New Testaments as eyewitness testimony is simply bad historical practice and is historically unthinkable. But not only do we have eyewitness, first-hand testimony to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and His birth, 
but we also have non-biblical sources. Sources that are hostile to Christianity. And some of them were even hostile to Judaism at the time. And they have recorded Jesus' actual existence and claims. These sources include Thallus and Tacitus and Phlegon and Pliny the Younger and Josephus and Lucian and Celsus and more. And I'm hoping I'm pronouncing these names right. But if you compiled what all of these non-biblical sources said about Jesus and put it together in one idea, listen to what emerges. Jesus was born and lived in Palestine. He was born supposedly to a virgin and had an earthly father who was a carpenter. He was a teacher who taught that through repentance and belief, all followers would become brothers and sisters. He led the Jews away from their beliefs. He was a wise man who claimed to be God and the Messiah. He had unusual magical powers and performed miraculous deeds. He healed the lame. He accurately predicted the future. He was persecuted by the Jews for what he said and betrayed by Judas Iscariotos, Judas Iscarius. He was beaten with rods, forced to drink vinegar and wear a crown of thorns. He was crucified on the eve of the Passover. Is this sounding familiar? And this crucifixion occurred under the direction of Pontius Pilate during the time of Tiberius. On the day of his crucifixion, the sky grew dark and there was an earthquake. Afterward, he was buried in a tomb and the tomb was later to be found empty. He appeared to his disciples resurrected from the grave and showed them his wounds. These disciples then told others that Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven. One of them was named Matthai. The disciples were also persecuted for their faith, but were martyred, which is what we said earlier, without changing their claims. And they met regularly to worship Jesus even after his death. Now, remember, these were non-biblical, hostile sources that actually agree with many of these historical, miraculous claims about Jesus and the New Testament. So as I wrap up, here's the point of all of this. I don't know where you're coming from, but science doesn't have to be the reason you don't believe in the miracle of Christmas. For those of you who watched last week, we believe, as we heard from last week, that God wrote himself into the story. That the eternal Son of God took on human flesh and was, in fact, born of a virgin and dwelt among us. God entered the system metaphysically and supernaturally. But here's where I want us to end. See, again, depending on where you're coming from, maybe you've got lots of things to think about. And that's okay. But whether it takes you minutes or hours or days or even years, at some point you have to say, but do I trust this God? The kind of God who not only transcends the natural world, but interrupted history and interrupted the natural order and entered into it to do for humanity what humanity couldn't do for itself, which is a whole nother series of sermons on its own. 
But this God lived the life that I could not live. He died on a cross for my sins and he was raised to life to demonstrate his victory over sin, death and hell and all powers. And so the greatest question before you isn't, did this possibly happen? Although maybe you're there right now. But the question I want to put before you is this. Am I therefore willing to give my full allegiance to this God who performed and embodied these incredible miracles? And so as you think about that, and as maybe some of your assumptions are challenged, I want to pray for you for wherever you're at, that God would continue to not only encounter you in your mind as you ponder these miracles, but that you would actually encounter this God who we are claiming is God with us, Emmanuel. So let us pray. Father, we recognize that at times the idea of the miracle of Christmas can be hard to understand. And maybe for us as Christians, we get so used to singing about it, thinking about it, and hearing these messages year after year, that either it loses its wonder on us, or we cease to understand how sometimes this can become such an obstacle to belief and faith in Jesus Christ. But Father, thank you that as these challenges come our way, we are not left empty-handed. That we can look at a God who set this world up. A God who created this world. A God who can even say, I have created the scientific order and I have created how the natural world works. But I am also the God who is above and beyond this natural world. And I choose to intervene. I choose to interrupt these moments. And God, Christmas is one of these moments. And so for those of us who do believe God, I pray that you'd increase our sense of awe and wonder about this. At the same God, for those of us who are starting to doubt or maybe are coming in with some cynicism and some skepticism around all of this, and maybe even understandably so, I pray that we would see that what you have done in Jesus Christ is not only possible, It best explains the evidence. It best explains the reality of Christmas and the reality of how this world came into being and how you truly love us and call us to follow you in this world and also into the next. And Holy Spirit, take us beyond today. I pray that you'd continue to stretch us and move us and to see you regardless of where we are coming from as truly the miraculous God who is with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.